Well, as we look at this series of We the Church Are Gifts Back to God, we're going to continue where Pastor Craig left off last week when he was talking about this church in Ephesus. Now, last week he looked at that Ephesus chapter 4 and he started off by saying, hey, listen, there's a couple things that Paul was begging this church to do. Um, he said, I need you to turn a switch on. I need you to take a big leap. I need you to commit to a couple things. One, he wanted them to commit to that local church in Ephesus. He said, I need you committed to that. Whatever body God has called you to, be committed to it. Second, he said, when you show up, I need you to be committed to peace there, that you're bringing things that are peace-filled. And third, he said, I need you to be committed to the gospel. And then if you read that, if you went home last week and read Ephesus chapter four, which I'm, I'm sure you did, you read the whole Ephesians chapter four, you looked at it and just memorized it. The next four verses and eight verses are like crazy. He just kind of throws off the cuff. He's like, oh, and by the way, you have spiritual gifts. Use them. By the way, there's, you know, prophets and apostles. Let them lead you. Okay, moving on to other stuff. And I don't know about you, but as you get to be an adult, you get to be a good at faking things. You don't want to show people that you don't know what you don't know. So when you read verses like that, you're like, oh, yes, very spiritual stuff. I'm sure I know what all that means. I've met an apostle and uh, uh, my cousin, he's a healer, you know. And you have no idea, and you come to church smiling, and you go like, I don't, I don't know what this means. So this morning, we're going to read two huge passages that explain the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I want to do that so that it's read aloud in church, so that you're accountable to it. You've, you've heard it. And so that's going to be kind of annoying. We're going to have a lot of scripture that we're going to read in there. And, and then I, I need to beg of you two things. One, I'm going to use very elementary kind of things. So it may seem like an extended children's time. Um, so if you brought snacks, now's the time. Um, um, that is because we are talking about really spiritual things that people have to work through. The end of the shape class, that's 45 minutes, we're going to talk about this. The rest of it is the rest of your life where you're praying through what we, what you give you in the shape kind of class. Um, these are big things. So I'm going to show you very elementary things. Just be patient with that and get the idea. Jesus had to do that. He was with Nicodemus, and he said, okay, how do I explain this? Um, you know how we talk about spiritual things? It's kind of like talking about the wind. You see the results. You don't see the wind. Or, or how about this? How about this? You can't come into the kingdom of God unless you're born a second time. Both very physical things, and Nicodemus, obviously being just like us, went, what the world do you mean? I'm not going back in my mom's womb, you big sicko. You know, like, he didn't get it. That's one hand. The other hand is, these are about deeply spiritual truths. One of them should hit you hard because you're ministering out of your flesh and not out of your spirit. So don't ignore the deeper truths just because I'm giving this. We want you to have the DNA of the early church. This is where you invite people to Jesus, you invest in them, and then you replace yourself with them. You replace, we are not training the students to lead worship just so you get a show of students. Hey, look at the young people. We want to replace ourselves with the students as time goes on. That they are the worship leaders and the pastors and the leaders in the church. And the DNA of the early church was we invested, we invited you, we invited you, invited you, and then we invest in you, invest in you, and then eventually you became us. 
So that's why we're looking at this today because knowing what Scripture says about spiritual gifts is deeply important. So we're going to put those up on the screen. If you're ever discipling someone and you get in this area of ministry, it is really easy. Even though the verses and chapters were made by a monk, you know, he just kind of got lost and he wanted to write them down. It is so easy to know that the 12s are where you find it. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. Easy. So let's stand together as I read these portions of Scripture. Um, you'll see them at the top of your sermon guide. Um, you also can uh, see them in your bulletin. And you can take them home and dig into them deeper. But I want to make sure you understand what Paul was pouring on this church, because he sure didn't do it in Roman, I mean in Ephesus. But in Rome, to the church in Rome in Corinthians, he lays it all out. Starting with Rome. For the, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually we're members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let's use them if it's prophecy in proportion to our faith if it's service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, he says in 1 Corinthians, okay, so you're jumping to the next section, 1 Corinthians 12. You were just in Romans 12. Next book over, 1 Corinthians 12. Real easy if you're discipling someone. Just like the Romans wrote, it's all there. It's got to know where to find it. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. There are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of service, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them in all, in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. One is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, walk, working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered to one, by the one same Spirit who appoints each one individually as he wills. And then way at the bottom of that chapter, he concludes it with this. And God's appointed the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Let's pray together. Father, that's a huge list. Help us to start in the right places. Help us to walk through your word together, that we will be people that don't just know you, but we walk and we work in you that we'd be able to give whatever gift you've appointed us back to you, that your hand and your heart would be on us. We'll give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen.
You know, being in church is weird, because just like the early church, this church had nothing in common. They had different families, different languages, different backgrounds, and the only thing they had in common was Jesus. And always, it's always weird when you're like, like next week at the fellowship lunch, you may sit down next to somebody, you're talking to them, you're like, ah, great meal, and then you're talking to them, and they say something weird, and you're like, wow, you're weird. You're not as perfect as I am, you know? But you know Jesus, so we're like tied together. They may come from a place or a town where you're not. My wife wrote to somebody that's best friends this week. I think she said it's minus 30 or minus 50 where he lives. What are you doing there? Jesus is telling you not to live there. (laughs) Never would I, you know, people. But what happens is we come together and then we got to figure out how to work together. And that's what the church of Ephesus had to figure out. And so he got past this commit to the church. And then he said, by the way, the way the church works is gifts and roles. So go do that. And we just smile and go, sure. That'll happen. But then as we work in church, we get involved in church, maybe not outside at our jobs, maybe not in our family, maybe not as a civic organization, but we get in church and we get burnt out by believers. We get killed by committees. You know, we get tortured by theology. We just get these kind of things. We, the, the service life sucks the life out of us. How do we not do that? That's not what it's written in Acts. Acts is this church that's growing and multiplying and going. And some of it is learning this teaching. So I'm going to give you some hard truths, some best knows, and some things to think about as we walk through. The first hard truth is, uh, uh, the first hard truth is pretty awesome. Um, In this type of community, as you look at this community, using your spiritual gifts for advancements or authority instead of service will always lead to humiliation. That's the first part of Acts. Simon sees people doing miracles. He goes up to the disciples and said, hey, can I pay you to do the miracles? And they literally curse him. A couple of the disciples that may have followed John or somebody else, they come in and they were following Jesus. They walked up to somebody that was possessed and said, I, I cast this demon out in the name of Paul who proclaims Jesus. And the guy looks at him and goes, well, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? And beats them up. Ananias and Sapphira, they see people giving and having this gift of generosity, and they could have given anything to the Lord. They could have held back whatever they want, but in order to get the, uh, the steam and the authority, they said, hey, we gave everything we have. And Peter, one by one, says to him, hey, man, why'd you lie to God and not to me? And they dropped dead. And it says a fear came through the early church. Do you think? I have seen people do this in church. I have cried with people who have lost their position as a volunteer in the church because they thought it was about the authority they had spin up the chain and eventually God... And it breaks... Church is defined by serving, not by leading. I'll give you an example of this. My mom worked for a neurosurgeon her whole life and great guys and grew up with that environment and that kind of environment. And I guess... I. I one of the things my mom did before she passed was she got these little pictures that, were, that she was going to bring down to the birthday party. And I'd, I've never seen pictures of my childhood very much. So I just, they were new to me. And I have some favorites. Like there's me as like a three-year-old with a little Cubana hat playing the drums. I'm like, hey, cool. And then there's other ones you're like, we need to burn that picture. Um, nobody loves a mullet. Um, and, 
And it, it brought to mind, I saw one of the pictures, I forgot about this, at some point in that, in that, in that group, I, we must have gone to a house and we were playing tennis, and one of the doctors said, wow, he's really good at tennis. You should, we want to sponsor him at our country club. They do an industrial training, bring you in, we have a pro come in, they train you all summer long. And so they sat down with me and said, like, hey, you can come. They said, you, you're doing great at tennis. You really have your forehand, your backhand is really good. You're really moving very well. Do you want to come in? It's free. We will pay for it. Here's two caveats, though. A one, you have to get up when your mother gets up at 5.30 in the morning. You have to come with her to, she's going to drop you off at the training facility. You will train then from 6 a.m. until 6 p.m. with this pro until we pick you up again. Yeah, that wasn't, I mean, that's, what am I doing? The second was, hey, listen, your forehand, your backhand's really good. Here's the problem. One of the things we know this pro is going to work on you is you have a problem serving. Because serving is lifting something up and serving it in the right area. And so they said probably the first couple days of the summer, you would just be sitting there practicing this. Lift up, serve. Lift up, serve. Lift up, serve. Guess what your job is in the church? To lift people up and to serve them. There are no applications in this church for the next apostle. We don't want, that's not going to be in the ministry fair. You're not going to walk up and see a thing that says, apostleship, sign up now. Boss of everything, sign up now. If you don't know how to do the basic work, the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. Your job as a Christian is to invite people, invest in them, and that means you have to lift them up and you have to serve. And what happens is we get so disoriented in the church. You know what the most important part of your serve is? It's the grip. This is a nasty grip. It's an old tennis racket that I found in the back. It is a nasty grip. And the first thing I would do if I wanted to pick up this thing and get beaten by Dave in tennis or pickleball, whatever he plays, um, I would change the grip because it is so easy. I've done this before. You're like, I got it. I'm going to serve them. You're like, this is a beautiful form, me and uh, whoever's a tennis player. You know, McEnroe and I, Andre Agassi. And I'm like, ha! And then the racket leaves your hand. <laughs> there is no amount of embarrassment more than you supposed to be serving, but you took too much authority on your own, and God says, no, I'm taking that back. You're not serving. You just want to be the boss. It's in your serve. Now, if you have dealt with me at any point, I really apologize for this, but this is the habit of discipling so many people. If you come up to me, oh man, look at my hands. Bad, bad racket. Bad racket. Um, if you come up to me and you say, I really feel a need, I really want to serve in your ministry, I guarantee you out of habit, I will say this. That is so awesome. Could you do me a favor? Could you hold the door open for somebody when they're coming in? Could you do me a favor? Could you get the trash? It is not even a thought in my head. It's the first thing I'd ask you to do. And you had better bet your life that while I'm serving unconsciously, I will come back to that spot and see if you left that area of service. Because church is only about serving. And it doesn't matter if you have your doctorate in Jesus if you can't hold a door open, you will never make it as the Apostle Joe. Ask Craig and I how many toilets we've cleaned. 
Ask Craig and I how many trash cans we've emptied. Improve your serve, because it's the only, the game of tennis does not begin until someone serves. The ministry of Jesus is not, and by the way, already happened here. When I've asked people to do that, their face gets grumpy. They leave halfway through. They come back to me the next time the event happens and say, I want to help. What can I do? You had better bet the first thing I will say is, can you hold open the door? Until you pass level one, until you can wash people's feet, you cannot proclaim the gospel on a platform. The girls, no matter how fun they had last night, hanging out till 1 a.m. at the concert, had to get their backsides into the fellowship hall at 10 a.m. Or they were not coming on this platform to lead worship. I didn't care if they were Sinead O'Connor or somebody better singing than her with hair. Does not matter. I don't care the talent. Your job to serve is to, while I'm preaching the first service, to hang out in the fellowship hall. I say amen. Craig prays. I run out the back. I tell you we're going to practice. You come in and practice for 10 minutes. That's the starting. Luke 16.10 says this, one who's faithful in very little will also be faithful in very much. The one who's dishonest in little will be dishonest in much. I'm never testing your faith, your favor, your brains. People get confused. They, they say, like, what, what do I have to do, be smarter? You don't have to be smarter. I'm testing your service. The best no I can hear from you sometimes is I'm not ready to serve. That's the best no. Say, Pastor, I'm not ready to serve in that area. That's the first best no. I'm not ready to serve in that area. What we do on Friday night in a basketball court is very tricky work. We are allowing unbelievers to come in and play with certain rules, and about 2% of the church can serve in that environment because it's not your culture, it's not your language, and it's not your sport. And you telling me, no, I can't help you with that, releases so much more because, God, I'm not called to serve that community. One of the first best no's that you can tell me is no, I'm not ready to serve there. Here's the second hard truth. Um, oh boy, this is a hard, this is a hard, hard truth. <laughs> second hard truth. Um, uh, the reason they have the role they have and you don't may be because they're more accountable, not because they're more gifted. Ouch. The reason, you can look at people in the church all over, it is ordinary people worshiping an extraordinary God doing things through him and not through them. And you can look at people, man, some of the best worship leaders I've ever known did not sing really well. Kofi and Sarah were shared, shared a video on my birthday. Man, we had them up here with mics that did not work. They, they worshiped the Lord better than any of us. It just was a joyful noise that came out of their mouth. And so we gave them mics, and they just praised the Lord. And I could see the praise in them because it wasn't about their gifts. They showed up to every practice. They practiced at home. They prayed for the worship team. They were much more accountable. When I said no to them, they heard it right away. You will always see people in church that are much more gifted than you. You may not see people that are more accountable than you. 
And the more you serve the church, the more the accountability goes up. I was here, we got home at uh, maybe one. I think I went to bed around one. Woke up at 5.30 to make sure I didn't mess up Jesus for you. Guess who pulled in the parking lot? Pastor Craig, who's not preaching today. Where were you at 5.30? Some of you early risers were already up having your coffee. I know you're, I know. But if I said, hey, you gotta get, you gotta get over here because you gotta serve over there. It's difficult, difficult, difficult. Those with roles in the local church are more accountable. They are not more powerful. That whole list in Corinthians that God appoints people in different roles. They're sometimes seasonal. But we also have this section of Ephesians 4 that says this. He gave them to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, building up the body until we all reach unity and faith and knowledge. The only reason I'm here is to make sure I'm not the only one leading worship. Did you get that? It's the only reason I'm playing over here is that Ladrika leads worship and Sarah leads worship and Lainey leads worship. It's not for me to be the guy that's up here, just me. Here's another solo by me. The more I move up the chain, the more I'm accountable to equip the saints. The difference is confusing gifts with spiritual tasks or talents always creates resentment. Romans 12 shares there's various gifts. That's what we're talking about, spiritual gifts. There's various service. That's usually a role. And there's various activities. So here's, here's another great picture. All right. So God is doing his work in the church. His work in the church, and we talk about this in shape, the difference between your spiritual gifts, God's purpose, and your passion. So God's job in the church is to lift up the gospel and Jesus alone. That is his purpose. And then you see that and you go, oh my goodness. You know what would be great is if we reach children. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to add a slide over here and somebody else says, no, man, that's not good enough. We need the Shekinah glory of God to shine down on it. And somebody else says, I'm not growing enough. What I need is I need some growth. I need some grass underneath there to grow. No, what the problem is is we need more people in church. We need to open up the doors. That's not the problem. We're not following the Spirit enough. We need the Spirit in the world. That's the problem. We're not proclaiming hell and all the problems that go on when you decide to live apart from God in life and therefore in death. And what you do when you don't allow someone to say no in your life is you take a beautiful picture and you mess it up. All God wants is for the glory of his revealed work to be revealed in local people. And if you can't hear no, listen, the water slide coming out of the sanctuary is a great idea, but we're just gonna have to say no at this point. Well, I'm never going back to that church. They don't love children. Listen, having a night of worship where we can sit and worship and glorify God is great, but we may not be able to do that on, on Sunday morning where people are coming in and out. Well, I'm never going to that church because they don't worship in the Spirit. Listen, I need a 24-week 
class on Revelation. Listen, we, we don't have the time to do that. If you find a team together and you want to do that, and you find a doctrine that's solid with that, let's do that. Well, I'm not, they're not teaching the gospel. I'm not going to that church. It's always a good no when we hear someone we love say, Pastor, my heart isn't there yet. I'm not ready to hear no. Just let me attend and grow. But I'm not ready for somebody to say no, I can't do that. You protect your serve, you, you, you have this ability to hear no. And third, sometimes you get really frustrated in dealing with church because the hard truth is you're serving out of the flesh, not out of the spirit. If you don't know how the church of Ephesus started, it started because somehow somebody got there. Maybe it was John's disciples got there early and they said, do you feel bad about all the bad stuff you did? Yes, I do. Do you want to be baptized? I do. I'm sorry. And they baptized them. This is not new. There was just a synagogue that, up in New York City that had to have actual police come in because the younger members wanted to carve through the building next to them to get to a baptismal place. They knew to expand it. They thought the Messiah would come if they could open up that baptismal font that had been used years ago. And the police actually had to come in because they were fighting. Rabbis were fighting rabbis and chaos in New York. It was a consistent habit. If you read your Bible, John was calling people and saying, repent, God is near. And Paul and the, the disciples come in in Acts and they go into this church in Ephesus and they go, wow, you guys are really awesome. I love all the work you're doing. How's the work going with the Lord Jesus? And they go, Who? Who? Oh my goodness, don't be fooled. We are not proclaiming a God that just covers your guilt. We are complaining. We're telling you about a Savior who sets the agenda and is risen. And they had to sit down with these believers and tell them the gospel because I love civic groups. Teachers, I love what you're doing. Policemen, I love what you're doing. Social workers, I love what you're doing. But here our job is to proclaim the gospel. And these guys in Ephesus were doing a great job. And then they said, oh, man, what's going on? Well, we were just feeling really guilty. And so this guy came in and we got baptized because we felt really guilty. Oh, really? Who baptized you? Oh, there's this guy named John. One of his disciples came by. Oh, did you hear of Jesus? No. It was all just flesh. It was all just good works, just good works, just good works, just good works. We can do that in church. We can be so busy in good works and good works and good works. And eventually they get to know Jesus and the Holy Spirit falls on them and they do spiritual works. There's a whole list in your uh, sermon guide about the lists that are listed in Romans 12 and Corinthians 12. And again, if you don't have that, make sure you grab that or study that this week. All these different gifts and ways that people work, and I'll explain that in a second. But here's the main thing. If you confuse your spiritual gifts with verbs and nouns instead of adverbs, you will burn out. I'll explain what that means, those of you that hate school in English. I have the spiritual gift of leadership, therefore I will lead this team. No, that's a verb. That's a verb. That's what you're doing. I am a teacher, therefore I shall teach in the church for all eternity until I die. I am a construction worker. I shall be on the building committee. No, both of those are verbs and nouns. Spiritual gifts are things that you only do in church that edify Jesus. 
And there's a whole list of them there, but they may not be related to what you do at all at home. Let me give you a couple examples. Give you a couple examples. Uh, we know, I know people in this church who have simply the spiritual gift of helps. They may be in charge of something outside in their life. It doesn't matter. But when they come to the church, the only thing they say is, how can I help? And if I said to them, hey, I need your help. I need you to lead this team. They'd go, great. How can I help lead the team? You're like, no. <laughs> no I, need, I need you to lead them. I will lead them. How do I help? Because there are times, you may not have been here, there are times when there were chairs up here and those chairs have to disappear while I change microphones, put on a guitar, make sure it's semi-in tune and the girls have a microphone that work and we practice before you come in and I can't pick up those chairs. You know what I need? Someone with the gift of helps. Not the gift of leadership, pointing out, going, hey, you know, or discernment. You know, Sean, there's chairs up there. Um, the, uh, I'll give you some examples from people you just saw up here. Eric, who you didn't see, who's back here in this corner usually. I mean, Emery, Emery, Eric's over there. Emery has the gift of encouragement. I've seen this in him. I, I mean, he may be a jerk outside of youth group, but when you're hanging out with him at church, he's always telling you, hey, man, good job, great job. And you could have a junky day, and Emery would come up and be like, hey, man, great job. And it focuses me more on what God's doing. Sarah, who's right here and is a little much, um, Sarah ha is beginning to develop, from what I've noticed, she's beginning to develop this gift of discernment. She will ask questions about a worship set that I never thought about, and I'm pretty smart. Um, she may be really dramatic on any bus trip you're on with her, but she, she might not, she's not necessarily discerning outside of the church from what I understand. It's not like people come to her and say, I need your wisdom but within the church, she'll say something in the set, hey, what about this? And I'll be like, I never thought of that. And then I try to look like I didn't, you know, like, oh, yeah, I thought about that. It's a gift she gives to the church. And we shared earlier, Jeff, Rose, and, and Alan, who's up on the board right now, their gifts is service. When they come in, they want to serve you in the church. They could be complete bullies outside the church, but in the church, they serve, and God is lifted up. We notice that while his talent may be um, uh, you know, may possibly be singing and playing the bass. Dave, who's usually here or here, we've noticed in the past year that people come to him for wisdom, for just a word of wisdom. And I could say a thousand words, and then he'll sit down, and, and then a, a week later, they'll repeat to me. A number of people have repeated me something that Dave said to them. I'm like, what about my wisdom? Uh, you know? So, so here's the image that you can use when you're discipling people. It is exactly this. What God does is he ministers out of the holes in our life. And he says, listen, here's what I'm going to do. I need a building team. So I need someone with great faith that believes no matter what money we have, God will multiply it. And then I need somebody who has the gift of giving, not for their money, by the way. I have met rich people and poor people that have the gift of giving. You know what they do? Is they find resources anywhere. They didn't get a dividend from their job, and it comes to the church. You're doing a construction project, they find materials. You're like, where'd you find this materials? I found a guy. What is this, the mafia? What do you, you know? Then you need somebody who just has this gift of encouragement when you're ready to give up. Says, I'm just going to sit right here in second place. Then somebody else who says, listen, 
I have this understanding. I want to I lead people in this way. And instead of doing this, what comes out of that team is this. Same string. The teaching team, they come in there. One of the best teachers I had, we were serving at a church for a year, and they, um, they were an executive. They have buildings named after them. But the only thing they did in the church was sit down with little kids and teach them about Jesus. For the entire time I was there, I was trying to figure out what this guy's job was. He disappeared all the time. I had to go up to New York. Oh, why? I don't know. I had to go up there. I don't know why. And I'm like, how does he, does he have like coach miles? How does he fly that much? Oh, no, he has his own private jet. He's the senior officer with Cisco Food Agencies. He's why you eat. But in the church, all he did was encourage. And he sat down with somebody else who administrated. And then he sat down with somebody else who just showed mercy. And the whole children's ministry ran. And then they partnered with the building team with faith and hope and encouragement and giving. And then eventually, another team of people side by side, their only job was to clean up after the children. That's a rough job. Three of them, just side by side, saying, how can I vacuum after children's ministry? And eventually, instead of noise, you had music to the Lord. That's your gifts. Not what you're doing, but how you're doing it. And we're less without you. Then we are with you. Sometimes the best no we can hear from you is not that I'm not going to serve, but sometimes it's the fact that I can't get there yet because I'm still thinking too much of me and not we. I can't get there yet because I'm thinking too much of, of me and what you're looking for is we. Here's the last part that works with all these analogies. I don't know if you know this, but um, the top of that racket is called the head. The top of this guitar is called a headstock. Neither of them function without the head. We have a guitar that somebody gave us, and I played it, and it holds a tune for about five seconds. And then I play the next chord, and Mr. Mark cries in the back because it goes out of tune right away. The head's no good. If the signature on the art of your life is yours, it's not going to last long. That's the last hard truth. If you don't allow Jesus to sign your life and say the fame that will come out of my life will be Jesus, not me. I may serve, I may color, I may add different things, but the signature will be Jesus at the end. Whatever you do won't last long in the the local church. If the end of the sentence is art, I'm so glad God brought you because X. I'm so amazed God worked in you because of X. If it's, you did a great job. It just won't 
last. As we look together at this first Peter, we're going to show you up on the screen there. Peter's talking about gifts, and he says this. Just as you receive a gift, serve one another as good stewards. Speak as one who's speaking for God. Serve with the strength that God supplies. In order of this, that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. This guitar does not exist without the head. You do not exist without Jesus as the head of your body, as the king of your life. The only song that lasts forever is a song that says, hallelujah, praise to the lamb. Not the song that says, well done. That's a great phrase. I'd love to hear that. I'd love to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful service. But my goal is to see his signature because that'll outlast me. We uh, played basketball on Friday night pretty late. Saturday morning, my wife was doing something, so we ended up going to her thing and helping her with an event. We had 40 minutes to change over to take students out until 1 a.m., 2 a.m. last night. I was here at 5.30 this morning for a 9.10 service. We're going to do a whole bunch of stuff tonight in ministry, and what will give me joy is not going to bed. That's just because I'm weird. What will give me joy is to figure out a week from now where God was at work. To go, oh my gosh, I saw girls singing praise songs in a stadium of a couple thousand teenagers. Man, look at what God did. Man, somebody came up and prayed with Craig or talked with Craig afterwards about how they're burnt out and they needed him to pray for it. Look what God did. Man, we had a deacon's meeting where they actually, we got together and talked about how people were living or a church meeting where we talked about how the church is functioning. Look what God did. This does not exist without this. My encouragement as the students come out, as the students come out, as the students come out, there you go. <laughs> you can move my piece of art if you like, although it's pretty gorgeous. Oh, and, 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 and Kevin. Um, and my encouragement to you is as we close in worship, is if you have something like that in your life, you're like, hey man, I've just been struggling with that. Um, that you come up and pray with Pastor Craig about it. Or just catch him after the service and say, take a prayer card that's in your thing and say, I've been struggling with this. We'll have people pray for you about that. That beyond that, that you look at these sections of Scripture and you say, I wonder how God's going to use me. That beyond that, if you want to explore it a little bit, you take 45 minutes out of your time the next couple times and you just say, I want to I I figure this out. Just share a little bit more with me and pray with me about it. But who cares about all that? My hope is that your heart would praise Jesus in the end. And that the author of your life, the perfecter of your faith, would be Jesus alone. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would be glorified, not because of what we do, but because of who you are. That as we worship together, and we sing praise to the Lord, to the Lamb, to the King forever, that our hearts would be adoring you. Help us to serve. Help us to hear no. 
Help us to follow you in all we do. That you get the glory and our gifts would pour out. And people would say, look what God has done. Look at who Jesus is. That in all things, you get the glory and the praise and the dominion and the power forever and ever. We praise you for that. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about First Baptist Church of Wildwood and our ministries, you can go to our website, fbcwildwood.org, our Facebook page, First Baptist Church of Wildwood, or our Instagram page, FB Wildwood. Have a great Jesus-filled day.